0: Today's scripture reading is Ecclesiastes 2, 1 through 11. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also is vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad and of pleasure. What use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart still guided me with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted them in all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered myself silver and gold in the treasures of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained in me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Lindsay, for those words of scripture that, again, feel defeating, feel deflating, but strangely we find hope in, which we will see as we uh, gather and continue together in this, um, in this time. Um, I, w- I want to pray for our time as we continue in worship together, so let's just take a moment to ask the Spirit's leading and guiding in this time. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are a people who are utterly dependent upon you for, for life, for sustenance, for truth, for all things. And Lord, whether we recognize that or not, each and every one of us in this space is desperate for you. Our hearts long for you. The cry of our soul reaches to you and you are a God who hears us. And so Lord, I ask in this time as we feel the futility of our lives lived apart from you, would you show us the truth that the psalmist declares that many are the sorrows of those who chase after other gods. And may we also find that at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And so, Lord, we ask by the power of your spirit, awaken within us this truth that we might know you, receive you, and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. We pray this in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen, amen. October 21st, 2015 uh, was a sad day, uh, a sad day for many people, a day that we had been anticipating for some time, a day that we were hoping would bring some some resolution to things we longed for. But the day came and went along with our hopes and dreams. And yes, I'm talking about the day that Back to the Future promised us flying cars and power lace sneakers and rehydrated pizza. The day, the day came and went and these things did not come to fruition. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, if you remember the great 80s series, Back to the Future... It was on that day, October 21st, 2015, that Marty McFly and Doc Brown went into the future. And if you are a child of the 80s, you know that what you were hoping for and longing for, for that day, was a hoverboard skateboard. And I, as a child of the 80s, I remember, because like we, like we saw it, the promise was that on October 21st, 2015, we would have hoverboard skateboards, but the day came and went and I have still never seen a hoverboard skateboard to this day. But, but here's what's really interesting. If you've never seen Back to the Future, what's fascinating is that some of the technologies that were presented as mere science fiction at that time have actually come to fruition. We have mobile payment. We have hands-free video game consoles, video calls. We, we have the ability to um, pay, well, I guess, mobile payment, as I mentioned. Like, we see all of these various technologies that have actually come to fruition, And yet, even with all of these advancements, we still feel a sense of dissatisfaction in our world. With every technological advancement, every life-saving advancement and invention, and every medical breakthrough, I mean, we even saw that in Jim's interview today, we're finding these great things that are happening, and yet, with every one of these advancements, we find ourselves still very anxious, depressed, hurried, tired, and lost more than ever, Study after study reveals the strong correlation between our mounting mental health crisis and the increased technological world in which we live. And so there's this interesting correlation between the things that we are longing for and yet the dissatisfaction that they bring. And, and as I say that, some of you are like, geez, man, lighten up, Reed. Like, this is church. Like, like even though that feels defeating and deflating. The hopefulness that that realization brings is that it should cause us to pause, to ponder, and to reconsider and reevaluate the values and the priorities of our lives. What are we living our lives for? And is it possible that we have missed the meaning of life itself, which is precisely what the book of Ecclesiastes is trying to do for us? And if you missed last week, we began our new series last week in the book of Ecclesiastes that we're calling Life Up in Smoke. And if you missed that, I encourage you to go back and listen to that first message to kind of frame the understanding of this book. But let me give you a, like a brief synopsis. The book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament, one of the most important things to grasp of this book is there are two voices. We have the narrator who opens and closes the book. And he introduces us to the preacher or kohelet, which is the Hebrew word behind our English word, preacher or teacher. And kohelet is this old man at the end of his life who's essentially reflecting on all the things that he's done, all the things he's pursued, and trying to find meaning, significance, value, and validation. And what does he conclude after all of his pursuits? We're born, we work for a, a, a short few decades, we consume stuff, we die, and then we're forgotten. Something tells me that Kohelet wouldn't be hired on at Hallmark uh, to be a greeting card writer. You know, just like, like, this guy is super depressing. And again, the subtle, strange hopefulness of this book is found in Kohelet suggesting to us, subtly so, that perhaps there is more to life than the pursuit of possessions, power, prestige, and pleasure. And it is this last category of pleasure that Kohelet wants to use to point us to this reality of what is truly the purpose and meaning of life. And he does so by telling us this, that pleasure can destroy us if it doesn't direct us. This is the idea I want us to kind of camp out in together, that pleasure can destroy us if it doesn't direct us. What Kohelet is telling us is that pleasure, in and of itself, pleasure is not inherently evil, wrong, or bad. Like all of God's good creations and gifts, they can be distorted and used to destroy us and others. But what Kohelet is saying is that pleasure, it can be pointless and poisonous when it becomes the overarching aim of our lives, when it becomes the end and not the means to some other end. So if you have your Bibles open to Ecclesiastes, I want to reread chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Kohelet says this, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also is vanity. And I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasures, what use is it? Now Kohelet here, he's not, uh, to, no pun intended, he's not blowing smoke here. He's not just kind of like, like speaking in this kind of illustrative, um, like hyperbolic way. He's saying like, look, I've tried it all, and it all does not satisfy Every single thing, he's saying like, look, I've been there, done there, I've got the t-shirt when it comes to every worldly pleasure that you can pursue, and I have found it wanting. And he goes on, he mentions, I mean, the indulgences of alcohol, of food, of sex, of of possessions, of wealth, of beauty, he's done it all. And, And we even see this in kind of the summation of what he says in verse 10 about his endeavors. He says, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. And so what we see is that, I mean, the brother never told himself no. He, he denied himself no pleasure. And, and so what he basically, what we see in kind of this summation of what Kohelet is saying is that he denied himself nothing. He concluded that it's all for nothing because it all made him feel like nothing. That, that, that's what he's kind of sum- summarizing the entire pursuit of pleasure in this world. It is all for nothing, a chasing after the wind. It is all smoke. Or to put it another way, if, if pleasure is our aim, pleasure can destroy us if it doesn't direct us. But you might be hearing Kohelet's words and thinking, okay, like, like I get what he's saying, but like, are we really to conclude that this man from the ancient times, like, that his pursuit of pleasure is really the, the end all? Like, I mean, like, the fact that he was able to do these things that are described in Ecclesiastes 2, like, like, we can do all those things. But at the time, I mean, the original readers of, of Ecclesiastes would have concluded that Kohelet was like the top 1% of humanity in terms of the ability to pursue pleasure, possessions, and power. The things that he was able to do and experience were only dreamed of by the vast majority of humans at this time. But as we look about our own lives today, I mean, virtually all of us can recreate the pleasures that Kohelet lists in chapter two, I mean, even to a more decadent degree. So like, are we really to conclude that Kohelet is this expert in human pleasure when the brother's never been to Walt Disney World and never had Chick-fil-A? Like, are we to conclude that this guy knows the fullness of human pleasure? Like, no, we're able to do far more than what Kohelet could do and even to a more decadent degree. So think about it. Kohelet describes the the enjoying of wine and fruit, which were rare delicacies afforded only to the super wealthy at his time. You and I can pursue even greater luxuries by our stop at Quick Trip on the way home from church today. Like, I mean, just think about it. Like, the things that we were able to get from Quick Trip are far greater than, in some ways, what Kohelet was able to accomplish or the ability to build and enjoy gardens. This was something that was catered really only to the super rich. But you and I could stroll through Loose Park this afternoon. Or if we really wanted to, by tomorrow we could be in Rocky Mountain National Park. If we I mean we possess the abilities to do that. Kohelet was privileged to have hired musicians to serenade him in the comfort of his own home. We have the ability to listen to any song ever recorded by the device in our pockets. We have the ability to do even more things than what Kohelet experienced, and then to the pursuit of sexual pleasure. Kohelet acquired several sexual partners by means of his wealth, and today there is virtually no end to the sexual experiences that one can pursue through the incredible inundated evils of pornography, of sex trafficking, of VR sex, of perversions of all kinds. We have the ability to do more than what Kohelet did. And so to put it simply, like if Kohelet were here today, he'd be like, holy cow, you guys did it. Like, you, you reached the end. Like, you did the experiment even to a greater degree. And so clearly, you must be even wiser than I in finding the futility of pleasure that you've pursued in all these things. But that's not the conclusion we've come to. Rather than wondering if perhaps we've missed something along the journey in our pursuits of pleasure, we have collectively decided to set up camp at the dead end of pleasure, And we say, this is where life is. And even though it's still dissatisfying, rather than question the premise, is my life designed for pleasure, we would just rather sit here and deal with the hollowness of our desires. And it's there at this dead end of pleasure where we inoculate ourselves from our soul's suspicion that says that there must be more to life than this. Pleasure can destroy us. If it doesn't properly direct us. In his book, The Decadent Society, uh, Ross Douthat talks about essentially that this culture that we live in, the ways in which we've seen advancements of all kinds. And he points out that our culture, we live in a culture of excess and abundance, but that excess and abundance is, is filled with things that are actually increasingly more pointless and actually less helpful. And on top of that, we've actually settled for this low bar of what we are producing largely in our world today. Listen to what Douthat says in describing our culture. He says, we used to travel faster, build bigger, live longer. Now we communicate faster, chatter more, snap more selfies. We used to go to the moon, and now we make movies about space. And we hype the revolutionary character of our communications devices in order to convince ourselves that this progress of our devices, our phones essentially, is the only progress we could reasonably expect. We have lived up to the low expectation of our devices. And what has happened is that we have turned pleasure into a pastime. We've turned it into an end in itself. God has created pleasure for us as a way to direct us toward him, but instead, we are using pleasure to distract us from him. And this is what is unmaking us as a, as a people, as a culture, as a world. Again, pleasure can destroy us if it does not properly direct us. And this is the danger of distorting the good desires that God gives us. I want to be very clear that, that desire and pleasure is not inherently wrong. But when we expect too much from it, or in some ways expect too little from it, we find ourselves distorting pleasure and distorting ourselves. For some of us, we're tempted to live the life of Kohel. We're, we're, we hear his words, we're like, man, but he didn't try everything. And so I, I'm going to try to go even a little bit further and accomplish what he couldn't. I'm going to pick up his baton of meaninglessness and carry it forward. And we think that if we deny ourselves nothing and pursue every pleasure we ever wanted, that we will find happiness. But... As we know, happiness eludes us. And there are countless modern Kohelets that we could and should listen to, but we kind of deny and ignore. In fact, there's a member of our church who shared with me recently an interview that Tom Brady had after his third Super Bowl win. It was a 60-minute interview, and he said this, very honest words. He says, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still believe there's something greater out there? There's got to be more than this. What else is there for me? And and so, and when he was asked this, like, somebody asked him the question, it's like, what's the answer? You you see this desperation. He says, I wish I knew. And you see this futility even in his answer. But then he goes on to say this, but I think that that is part of why I'm going out to try and experience other things. And so we can hear Brady's words, and and we can delude ourselves into thinking, man, even though, like, the greatest football player of all time wasn't able to find what he was looking for, maybe I can And we foolishly delude ourselves into thinking that if we just pursued the next thing, that we would be content. But this life is a life that expects too much from pleasure. It is a life that ignores what Kohelet wisely and lovingly, I might add, tells us in verse 11. Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil that I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity, a striving after the wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. And so that's the life of expecting too much from pleasure. But for some of us, we may find ourselves tempted to expect too little from pleasure. We know that we aren't going to find fulfillment. We've kind of settled to the fact, like, yeah, I'm probably not going to find what I'm looking for. And so we have settled. And so we know that we're not going to find fulfillment in reaching the peaks of pleasure and desire. So we settle in the valleys of distraction. We don't climb to the summit of satisfaction. We settle for the numbing effect of Netflix. We don't reach for the joys of feasting. We give into the ease of DoorDash. We don't build meaningful friendships and relationships. We prefer to scroll through our feeds. We don't long for the goodness of sexual intimacy as God has designed it between one man and one woman. Rather, we hollow ourselves through the corruptible and conniving convenience of pornography and self-pleasure. The problem for some of us is not just that we expect too much from pleasure, but that we expect too little from it. Our problem is that our desires for pleasure are getting carried away, not so much to an unrealistic height, but rather that they are taking us to unsatisfying depths, where pleasure is inverted and our souls follow suit. Again, pleasure can destroy us if it doesn't properly direct us. And here's the thing, as I was reflecting on this, like, we aren't even content with the things that we're pursuing contentment in. I mean, even in the things that we pursue to distract ourselves and numb ourselves, this, this struck me recently. My wife, Meg, and I were, were watching a show together, a show that we like, and I, I, like, with my favorite person in the world, okay? I'm with my wife, whom I love, watching a show that we enjoy, and I get my phone out. To distract myself. I, I, I'm bored with my favorite person in the world watching a show that I enjoy. I, I can't even deal with the distraction that I'm per- pursuing. I need another distraction to distract me from the original distraction. Do you see, like, like we're laughing at this because we see the futility and the absurdity, and I'm guessing you've been in that similar boat. That we need distractions from our original distractions. I told myself that I would work really, really hard to not quote C.S. Lewis in every single sermon in this Ecclesiastes series, but I'll do that next week, okay? Um, but li- I mean, listen, listen, listen to what C.S. Lewis says here. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong. You've probably heard this quote. If not, I am jealous of you for hearing it for the first time. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because it cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. Friends, this is where the wisdom and the hopefulness of Ecclesiastes is found in showing us the futility of pursuing pleasure for pleasure's sake so that we might be directed to the author of pleasure itself. Kohelet is trying to show us the futility of living for pleasure as an end because pleasure is meant to direct us to a greater end. And if we look and listen carefully to the words of Kohelet in Ecclesiastes, particularly in chapter 2, we will actually discover that he's leaving clues for us. He's actually giving us an indication that we should look for the pleasure behind the pleasure, that there is something that we are longing for behind the thing that we are chasing. The clues that he's leaving for us direct us to the joyful fellowship with God, that we have lost and that we still long for. If you notice, in Ecclesiastes 2, there's references to a garden, and to fruit trees, and to the desires of the eye, and to the toil of humanity. What does that remind us of? You see, Ecclesiastes is is meditative literature. It's meant to point us back to other parts of Scripture. And these references are back to Genesis 1 and 2. The reminder and and, uh, taking us back to the place where pleasure was created in the first place. Kohelet is trying to take our pursuit of pleasure and steer us back to the Garden of Eden in Genesis. He wants us to see that in our pleasures, God is directing us to himself, the one who created pleasure in the first place. And like all things created by God, our desires for pleasures have the capability of pursuing great good and godliness... But they also possess the ability to bring about great evil, death, decay, and destruction. And what I believe firmly is that the Holy Spirit is whispering to us through Kohelet the words that are telling us that pleasure can destroy us if it doesn't direct us properly to our creator God and our redeeming king. And so as, even though we've said that this book feels hopeless... It is actually awakening within us the hollowness of our pursuits of pleasures that leave us wanting more. But in order to hear this, in order to actually hear the wisdom of Ecclesiastes and to apply it, it does summon us to response, to to an action of some kind. Wisdom, as the Lord Jesus says, is justified by her deeds. And so what does it look like to justify wisdom through deeds in this book? And so let me suggest three things for us to consider— and, and let me say this. Let me encourage you to practice these things in community, to do this with others. Maybe it's with your community group. Maybe it's with a close friend, a loved one. Uh, maybe it's somebody on staff that you would reach out to, but find ways to practice these uh, applications of wisdom with people. So the first thing is this. If we were to hear the wisdom of, of Kohelet, we need to point out our poison. Point out our poison. What is the pleasure in your life, the good pleasure In your life that easily turns into a vice of temptation and sin. You know what it is. I I don't know what it is for you. But you know what is the pleasure in your life that so easily is used by our enemy and by our own sinful desires to turn into a vice of temptation and sin, either by expecting too much of it where it becomes a functional God or in expecting too little of it where it becomes a hollowing distraction. And a good way to discern if a good, godly desire has become a distortion and a sin in our lives, a good way to discern that is to ask yourself this question, is there something in my life, is this good desire, is this pleasure that I'm going after, is it weakening my worship of God? Is it weakening my love of neighbor? Is it weakening my pursuit of community? And is it weakening my my desire to live generously? Is this pleasure that I'm going after, is it weakening my worship of God, my love of neighbor, my pursuit of community, and my desire to live generously? If so, then that means that this thing has kind of been elevated to a place where it's either a functional God or it's a distraction. And if that is the case, we may need to put this pleasure in its proper place or perhaps even just put it on pause. And that's the second thing I want us to consider, that we need to point out our poison, to be honest with ourselves about the pleasure that we uh, turns into a vice, but we should also consider practice fasting. We should practice fasting. There is a beautiful, ironic relationship between joy and fasting. And the reason why is that the, the way in which to, we properly enjoy something as God has designed it, is to enjoy it within its proper limits. We all know this to be true. That when you live without considering the limits of any pleasure, you lose out on the fullness of joy that God has designed in that pleasure for us. And I know this is a tired illustration, but I love tacos. You all know this, I hope. Do you want to know the easiest way to get me to hate tacos is to force me to eat tacos for every meal? I will not only grow tired of tacos, I will despise tacos if that is all that I get to eat for every meal. We all know that the ability to enjoy something that God has created for us requires enjoying it in limits and in God's design. Pleasure without limits is poison. That's absolutely what I believe that Kohel was telling us. And this is why, as a a church, we're engaging in the spiritual practice of fasting. And so if if you've joined us for the form.life, this is our kind of daily spiritual uh, formation pathway where we engage the scriptures, we practice prayer, and also other spiritual disciplines. And so if you didn't get um, a a Form Life companion journal, uh, you can also sign up online as well. But this is why we're practicing the discipline of fasting as we're journeying through Ecclesiastes. And and what we find in here is that that this is such a a necessary discipline for the message of Ecclesiastes. And if if you have been participating in The Formed Life, you've probably read the blog post by one of our pastoral residents, uh, Dakota Dietz. Dakota is our pastoral resident at our Brookside campus. And if you didn't read it, go find it. It's it's remarkable. But listen to what he says. I'm I'm quoting Dakota here. This is how he frames the discipline of fasting. The desires that burn in our chests are put there by God turning the vessels of our souls skyward. But the load of sin that we carry in our souls inhibit our upward movement into the heart of God. This is why we fast. It releases our pleasure-seeking from the limitations of our puny imaginations and opens it up to the infinite wonder that is the fount of life. That is why we fast. It is not a religious perfunctory obligation. It is not something we do to prove that God loves us. We do so in order to enjoy more of God. We fast not to minimize pleasure. On the contrary, we fast in order to maximize our pleasure in God. So point out your poison. Practice fasting. But thirdly, praise God for pleasure. Praise God for pleasure. There is a way to approach pleasure from this very kind of Luddite approach, this very kind of uh, puritanical approach of saying, like, we just must kind of cut off all desire and pleasure and be kind of ascetic people. And that's not the design that God has given us. He has given us good gifts to enjoy so that we might enjoy him. And so when we see that the pleasures of life are meant to awaken us to the beauty, the wonder, the glory of God, then we are able to rightly enjoy life and all of the gifts that God has given us. And we're able to do so when we rightly and reverently and regularly praise God for the pleasure of every good gift. And so rather than seeing pleasure as something that is to be avoided and refrained from, it should be something that we delight and praise God in. Now again, being mindful of the fact that it has the ability to to destroy us and unmake us, but may we be a people who give thanks to God for pleasure. Kohelet is showing us the emptiness of pleasure when pleasure is pursued as our our main aim in life. And he's inviting us to look behind our pleasures, to look behind the thing that we're searching for, to find the actual thing that we are searching for. You see, the hope of Ecclesiastes is found in seeing that the pleasures of life are actually designed to not fully satisfy us. Because you and I have been created with divine taste buds, so to speak. And our satisfaction and contentment is is found only when we find satisfaction in the divine. Our dissatisfaction with earthly pleasure is designed by God precisely to awaken us to him. And to quote Lewis again, I know, I know, but you will say amen after hearing these words. What the pleasures of God are meant to point us to is back to himself. Listen to what Lewis says in directing us to the source of all pleasure. These things, referring to the the things we desire in life, the good pleasures in life, the beauty, the memory of our own past, they are good images of what we really desire. But if they are mistaken for the thing itself, they turn into dumb idols, breaking the hearts of their worshipers. For they are not the thing itself. They are only the scent of a flower we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, news from a country we have not yet visited. The tune that we are humming in our heads that seems vaguely familiar is the song that God sang into creation when all things were brought into existence. The news that we have a vague sense of is the good news of the gospel of the kingdom that is broken in now and is yet to come in fullness. The country we are in search of is the kingdom of God, that is now and is now forever. The scent that we are trying to capture is the fragrant aroma of Christ who has come to be the fulfillment of our longing. Amen? This is what we are longing for. This is the pleasure behind the pleasure. And so friends, pleasure can absolutely destroy us if it does not properly direct us to the creator of pleasure itself. If it doesn't point us to the one whom the author of Hebrews describes for us in these words in chapter 12, verse two, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, Jesus was a pursuer of pleasure and joy. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Church, our pleasures are directing us to the creator of pleasure itself. Our pleasures are directing us toward one direction or another, either towards the dead end of pleasure as an end in itself, or to the chief end of humanity's pleasure, which is found in Christ our King, amen? And so here is my hope and prayer, is that we would come to see the goodness of pleasure that God has given us, but to be very keenly aware of the fact that pleasure can destroy us if it does not direct us to Christ, the source of our longing in all of our hearts, amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do receive from you the good gifts that you have given us, that you have given to us, Lord, to enjoy so that we might more fully enjoy you. Lord, I ask that you would awaken us to the hollowness and the futility of the ways in which we have elevated your good gifts to a status that they were never intended to be. Lord, forgive us of our idolatry. Forgive us for the ways in which we have taken your gifts and made them God, so to speak. Guard us from that destructive pattern in our lives. And Lord, show us also the way in which we have settled for desires to distract us from you rather than direct us to you. Lord, would we in this, in this time and throughout this week, by the power of your spirit, would you give us the ability to take an inventory of our lives, of our desires, of our ambitions, of our pursuits, and ask the question, what do I want? And may we definitively declare that the answer is you. And so, Lord, would you, by your grace, show us the hollowness and the the, the pettiness of our pleasures so that they might point us to you, the giver of all good gifts, the source of pleasure and joy. Many are the sorrows of those who chase after other gods, but at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. May we find you to be the source of our pleasure. We pray this in the name of Christ and for his glory. Amen.